folks. Welcome to Big X and Roll, part of the Mile High Sports Podcast family. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Sunday night, uh, bordering on Monday morning for me. Uh, as we get into the Denver Nuggets loss to the Utah Jazz, final score 125-102. Uh, to be frank, I am going to spend about as much time as all of you should spend on this game, and that's about 15 minutes. Uh, I, I don't think that this game is one where you need to go into a lot of depth. It's pretty clear what happened. It's pretty clear how Denver lost this game. And I don't want to belabor the points because on the third game in four nights, in a game where the Utah Jazz were having three days of rest uh, prior to, they had lost four in a row. They just got back Rudy Gobert. This was the game they knew they needed to have. It was a 100% a game that if they had lost this game, things would have gone south real quick. So they knew they needed to get this one, and Denver didn't. That's that's just the plain and simple of it. I know it's a home game. I know the Nuggets fans don't necessarily want to hear that. But the Nuggets are tired. They had 10 available players tonight. They did not have a lot of bodies, and I want to give people the proper perspective on this before getting into the nitty-gritty of this. Uh, the Nuggets did not play well. Well, one person played well. Everybody else uh, was either meh or pretty good, or really horrendous. Uh, And that's to be expected, to be frank. Uh, We're in the midpoint of the season. Denver, I I still feel like the team has turned a corner. This does not change my opinion on it. But let's get into the nitty-gritty. We'll begin with the starters, as always. And I'm going to do the bench in the first segment, too. We're going to do two big segments instead of just one. Nikola Jokic. A wonderful, fantastic game from him. He was only a plus five. A lot of that came towards the end of it where Denver, uh, curiously, Michael Malone took out the the starters um, other than Jokic at about the four minute mark of this game. And then Jokic came out about a minute, minute and a half later. Kind of a curious sub. Not sure why he left Jokic out there because uh, there was a a jazz player on the free throw line. It wasn't like Jokic was on the free throw line. He could have definitely come out, but uh, that was that was curious at least. But either way, Jokic was fantastic. 25 points, 15 rebounds, 14 assists, just three turnovers, two steals, 10 of 18 from the field, two of five from three, three of three from the line, all in 37 minutes, and he was a plus five. Let me say that again. A plus five in 37 minutes, and the Nuggets lost this game by 23 points. There is a very clear delineation there. Very clear. Uh, The bench, they were minus 28 in the minutes that Nikola Jokic didn't play. Or at least the Nuggets were minus eight, because there was a brief stretch where Denver had like Barton, Gordon, and Jeff Green on the floor, and So I'll count that as starter minutes, but not necessarily Jokic minutes, which is how we normally define it. Uh, But either way, Jokic, whether he was guarded by Rudy Gobert, Rudy Gay, Boyan Bogdanovich, uh, switched onto a guard, he was great. He was—I I just thought that he impacted the game as as about as he could realistically be asked to do so. Uh, Only got three free throws tonight. More on that later. Uh, but he did a lot of great things, and he created a lot of open shots for guys like Monte Morris, who went one of eight from three. 
uh, Will Barton, who went two of eight. Some of the the bench guys, Faku Campazzo, 0 of 5. Bones Highland, 3 of 10. Denver as a team shot 11 of 43 tonight from three. Good for 25.6%. It's not good enough. The Jazz shot 15 of 39, so it wasn't like they were fantastic, but they also have Rudy Gobert patrolling the middle of the floor. Jokic was good as an efficient shooter on the interior. Not anybody else was. That's kind of where it comes down to here. Denver has to be good from three against the Utah Jazz. That is the only way that they are going to be able to win a series against Utah. It's the only way that they're ever going to be able to win a game against Utah. Because the Jazz are a fantastic offense. They know what they're doing. They are very consistent. They put the pressure on the rim and then take advantage of that by bombing away from three. They do a really good job of it. Um, But Jokic, no fault of his own tonight. He held up his end of the bargain, brought it on the second night of a back-to-back. I was very impressed with his performance, very impressed with how he defended. Uh, It wasn't perfect. Like Sometimes did he give up a couple of offensive rebounds to Rudy Gobert? Yes. Did he give up a couple of blow-bys by Donovan Mitchell in the pick-and-roll? Yes. But for the most part, I thought he actually defended reasonably well. He was probably Denver's best defender tonight. And that's insane. That is an insane thing to say. It's it's almost you're almost wondering what the rest of the team is doing out there. If Jokic is doing everything offensively and everything defensively. This is why the MVP chants are so loud. It's because he's had to carry a massive heavy load for this team for a long time. And this season has really been I think the worst it's ever been where the minutes that that he doesn't play are just either they were great against like G League level talent in LeBron James and the Lakers or Kelgen Blevins and the Blazers or it's against a team like the Jazz who they have a very very good bench potentially the best bench minutes in the NBA because they have a bunch of competent players as well as staggering an elite roller in Rudy Gobert as well as an elite pick and roll player in Mike Conley they know what they're doing. They know how to handle their bench minutes, and they have really established that with a fully healthy roster. Denver has not had that luxury, and they haven't been able to really play around with the minutes off the bench. They've just been trying to survive them. And it's just too bad that this is kind of the result, because that's what lost them the game. Aaron Gordon, I thought, had a decent night as well. 20 points, 7 rebounds, 6 assists. He's passing the ball really well, and there's there's a lot of good things to like from Aaron Gordon's perspective. Uh, he also shot two of five from three tonight, shot off the dribble pretty well, got some dunks, got some, some layups, and got a couple land ones. It's pretty good. It's hard to really argue with 27 and six. Uh, what I will say is that uh, there were times where Boyan Bogdanovich made him look like a child out there, made him look just really bad on the defensive end. Uh, Gordon wasn't the primary assignment on Bogdanovich. That was Jeff Green. Uh, there was Will Barton at times, and he looked he looked horrible defensively tonight. Will Barton did. Um, Davon Reed spent some time on Bogdanovich and on Donovan Mitchell. 
Uh, but for the most part, it was uh, Jeff Green while he was out there with the starting unit. And it just like Bogdanovich just continues to kill Denver. Uh, he had a he was minus five and plus minus tonight in a 23 point win. But anytime that he was out there uh, with Gobert, it usually went pretty well. And anytime he was out there with the uh, with the non Gobert minutes, he was the guy that was carrying the day. It was pretty clear to me, at least. Um, Monte Morris, six of seven, or no, uh, just kidding. That's not even close. Five of five from two point range, one of eight from three point range. Will Barton tonight, four of nine from two point range, two of eight from three point range. Uh, Jeff Green didn't take any threes tonight. He only went two of four, was basically neutralized in terms of his impact tonight. Um, and I think one of those was an early dunk. So the Jazz were able to take that away pretty quickly. Uh, all the good things that Jeff Green was doing with the starting unit. And they had Denver focusing on guard play, which not a good look when they go a combined three of 16 from three if you're Morrison Barton. Um, but a lot of this is semantics because Aaron Gordon was a plus eight. Will Barton was a plus three. Nikola Jokic was a plus five. Monte Morris was a plus five. It wasn't their fault. It really wasn't. Let's talk about the bench. Uh, like I said, a lot different facing this bench than facing the the awful benches of the the last couple games. Faku Campazzo was a was one of seven tonight from the field. Did not play well. Just just straight up. It wasn't just the shooting. He didn't make any defensive impact at all. Uh, Jordan Clarkson, when he was out there, didn't see him. Mike Conley didn't see him. Uh, got switched on to Donovan Mitchell, I'm pretty sure, and it just didn't really matter. There were not a lot of positive opportunities for Faku Campazzo to make an impact. And the stats bear it out, like two points, one rebound, one assist, minus 28. He gave up the ball a lot to Bones Highland. And that was the right call because Bones was one of the only guys that could really create tonight. And going against the Jazz, I think it's pretty clear that you you see why Donovan, uh, not Donovan, why Jamal Murray has had such an impact in games against the Jazz. Because being able to shoot off the dribble, being able to attack isolations, get by your man and finish at the rim or finish in the mid-range or finish from behind the arc, having those skills is really important. And and tonight, Bones didn't necessarily finish all that well. 13 points on 14 shots, uh, had a turnover, had three assists, but it wasn't the most efficient and effective game from Bones for sure. But it was a lot better than Faku. And uh, Faku, I, I will say Bones had a had possibly a worse defensive game than Faku did, uh, which is not great because... Neither of those guys were good, and, and Bones was somehow worse on the defensive end, and it bears out with the plus-minus for sure. They took advantage of him. The Jazz targeted him, and that's not a good sign. Davon Reed, five points, two of four from the field, one of two from three. One of those threes was pretty uh, was pretty aggressive, not going to lie. Um, five points, one rebound, one assist. Didn't really make an impact while he was out there. He, he did hit the shots that he was given, uh, did get an opportunity there, but 
him not being able to make a tangible impact on the defensive end is also not great. Um, did have a couple moments here or there, but it just seems like the Jazz machine just worked Denver to death. And the process by which Denver's bench was out there was not good. Um, I think a lot of it can be boiled down to Zeke Naji. Not not entirely, of course. Like Jeff Green didn't play well, and Zeke Naji definitely didn't play well. Faku didn't play well, but the bench is is more like I like I said on the last pod, or maybe it was on the DNVR pod. Um, when those guys have a plus minus, it's a symptom of the problem. N- neither of them, none of them, are necessarily the problem entirely. Like they can play bad, and I think a lot of them played bad tonight. But they have to be connected. They have to play as one, as Michael Malone said. And I don't think that they played that connected tonight. Like Zeke minus 27 in 10 minutes. Two points on one shot. Two rebounds in 10 minutes. That ain't great. Rebound the basketball. Get on the offensive glass. Fight a little bit more than what he has been. He really hasn't done a lot of that at all. Uh, when the guy is bigger than him. He took advantage of the smaller matchups against the Blazers and the Lakers. And it was nice to see. Like, I, I, w- I want to see him continue to do more of that. But fighting for position against Rudy Gobert, he didn't have a, a prayer of getting any of those rebounds. And Rudy Gobert, he, he put up seven offensive rebounds. And not all of those came against Nikola Jokic. I know that for sure. So I think it's pretty clear the bench renaissance is greatly overstated is that they can still have moments like these where the starters play well and the bench is what kills them. Um, Relying on a rookie to play well every single night is really tough. Uh, That's why Faku, when he has an opportunity to have five wide open threes, to not make any of them is a really bad sign. To not have any hustle plays is a really bad sign. Uh, but for Zeke to only have two rebounds is a really bad sign. And for Davon Reed to not really, like, I don't have any hustle play that I can remember, that's not great either. This might be confirmation bias. And maybe this was just a bad game, like I was saying. Maybe this is just a three games and four nights kind of effort from Denver, where the Jazz needed a win. And the Nuggets didn't. And that's just kind of how the cookie crumbles in the NBA. It's like Matt Moore has said this before. You don't know when, who, whether the team is going to try or whether they're going to take it up to fifth gear or if they're going to stay in third. Like I think there's a, there's a tangible difference in the regular season between when teams decide that they need a game versus teams that decide that they're just going to play and see what happens. I think the Nuggets wanted to play and s- to see what happened tonight. The Jazz needed this game, and they played like it. They they shot like it. They got to the rim. They got to the free throw line. They didn't turn the ball over. Denver starters matched them. I don't think the bench was up to the task. That's too bad. All right, enough of that game. Like I said, there's there's not a lot to talk about with this game because it's pretty straightforward. You don't you don't need to hear. My incessant ramblings on this one. It's okay. Let's take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about the biggest potential rotation changes to end the season. We'll be right back. 
All right, back here, final segment, pickaxe and roll. Thank you so much for tuning in. No, it's a shorter podcast this time around, but this is a this is a tough stretch for Denver, where they needed to um, they needed to get two of the three games against the Blazers, the Lakers, and the Jazz. Two of three because of giving up the uh, of giving up the Clippers loss. Like they didn't necessarily need that one, but giving that one up was really tough. So they needed to get a couple back, and they did. Um, now, as you move on to have a couple days off, Monday Denver's off, Tuesday Denver's off, Wednesday they play the, the Clippers, Friday they play the Memphis Grizzlies in what should be a really interesting matchup, and then Sunday they play the Detroit Pistons before then going to Detroit to play the Pistons again on Tuesday. That starts a six-game road trip. So Denver went two and one on the first three games of their six-game homestand. I think they need to go two and one on the next three. Uh, between you've got a couple easier games against the Clippers, Sands, Paul George, and Kawhi Leonard. Though the Nuggets have proven that they can lose that game against the Memphis Grizzlies, which is a really tough contest. No matter who, no matter what, no matter whether Jaws playing or whether. Uh, Dylan Brooks is definitely going to be out, but if Jaron Jackson isn't playing, they still have Brandon Clark and uh, Kyle Anderson, Zaire Williams. They still have a lot of people who can step in. So it's going to be tough for Denver regardless, but if they get two of the next three, then they've got a four and two road trip or a four and two home scan. Uh, if they get all three of the next three, that kind of makes up and, and kind of washes this loss away, I think. And people people will definitely forgive Denver for going only five and one on a homestand. So they still have time to make up for this. Don't get me wrong. But what I kept thinking today, as Michael Malone in his pregame comments said, yeah, Austin Rivers is going to be out. Uh, Jamichael Green is going to be out. Uh, in his post-game comments, he was talking about reinforcements and how he was hoping that Denver would get back some reinforcements for Wednesday night. I think that if Austin Rivers really wanted to play tonight, they probably could have played him. I think that they probably thought, hey, it's not going to really make a difference. Davon Reed's playing pretty well. Let's just keep him in the lineup. And then uh, you had James Ennis for emergency purposes for sure. But I think that if Austin Rivers wanted to play, he probably could have. I think uh, that is the reinforcement that, that Michael Malone is talking about. Not necessarily thinking that it's going to be Jermichael Green. He was in health and safety protocols the last we spoke. Uh, so we will see if he's still there on the next game notes. Um, but I'm very interested in seeing how Denver handles some of these potential returns. And I think... Some of them have some changes that are going to really affect the team, and some of them are not going to have much much of an impact at all. Uh, So let's start with Austin Rivers, who I think is the most timely one. I think he's the one that comes back on Wednesday. You're going to want him against a team like the Grizzlies, where they have so many elite guards that you want as many reinforcements as possible. And then potentially Denver has, has some off days that they can get rested up as well. So Denver should be able to give a much better effort. Actually, I said the Grizzlies. They're playing the Clippers on Wednesday. Don't don't listen to me at all. Uh, but even against the Clippers, like Rivers should play better 
Then he played against the the Clippers the last time. Uh, what does he provide? He provides some veteran leadership. Austin Rivers does. He provides some slashing ability. Uh, I saw a good stat by B-Ball Index. They do a great job on Twitter of posting various stats that they have metrics of. And some of the things that they do is they uh, break down players by player types, but a very specific type on offense or on defense. And the type of defense that they have Austin Rivers playing is as a chaser, somebody who likes to chase around off-ball players, uh, who goes and, and goes and gets people around screens, things like that. The movement shooters, Austin Rivers is Denver's guy to guard players like Buddy Heald, who he did a good job against in the Kings game. On the Grizzlies, that's Desmond Bain. Desmond Bain likes to come off screens. He does a lot uh, coming off of screens and, and getting free. And I think what we saw tonight, Boyan Bogdanovich does the same thing. Now, he's 6'8", six, 6'9". Six, uh, Austin Rivers doesn't necessarily do a good job against those kinds of players. But would he do a better job against Desmond Bain, who's closer to 6'4", 6'5"? Yeah, absolutely. I think that Austin Rivers could be very helpful in a matchup like that, as well as against a guy like Luke Kennard for the Clippers on Wednesday. So we will see if he can provide something, if he can help out the team a little bit on the defensive end. Because I think that there are some like there are some positions that Denver really struggles with. And that's one of them. The 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 smart team defender that can stay connected to off ball movement. I think that Austin Rivers is pretty good at it. Jamichael Green, he should probably be back. My guess is in about five to six days. Though we did see Will Barton clear protocol much sooner than expected himself. So maybe maybe it stands to reason that Jamichael Green, he's been out uh, due to health and safety protocols, I think for the last, what, three days or so? So he'll be out for at least another three plus if he stays in like the incubation period that they've discussed at the CDC. So does he probably miss next game? Yes. But will he be back against the, the Memphis Grizzlies? Sure, he might be. Uh, I would be a little bit concerned because I think that what he provides specifically, which is more rebounding, more toughness, more uh, screening than a player like Zeke Nagy. I think Zeke Nagy's Denver's best three-point shooter right now. He's shooting 46%. The next closest is Davon Reed at 433 I think if you go from a 46% three-point shooter in Jamichael Green, or in, uh, not Jamichael Green, in Zeke Naji to a 25% three-point shooter in Jamichael Green, that's pretty tough. I'm not sure how Denver's rotation is going to handle that. Some of the spacing that they've had with their second unit, the ability to use Jeff Green as a roller in the pick and roll, that's been really helped by having Zeke Naji out there who can be in the corner, who can hit corner threes. And even if he's not like elite out there, he hasn't shot the ball that well of late. Uh, even if he's not getting up great looks consistently, he's still shooting 46%. And, and that's known on scouting reports. Like if he's going to be out there on a consistent basis, he's going to be placed on the scouting report. So 
teams will stay close to him, and it, it opens up the paint for a player like Jeff Green. So hopefully, um, I think the the plan is probably going to be to have Jamichael Green get back in the starting lineup, to have Jeff Green and Zeke Naji come off the bench, and then potentially not to have to stagger Jeff Green and just instead play him a bunch of minutes with the second unit, but also kind of bring him in as the first sub off the bench. That would be my guess. DeMarcus Cousins. Like, what if DeMarcus Cousins is signed? I think that's that's something that a lot of people are talking about as well. Uh, I think that's a very interesting point. And I let me just say this. Uh, the DeMarcus Cousins thing, I think, is still on. I think that the switch-up situation for the health and safety protocol uh, hardship deal for James Ennis, I think that that kind of they would have still signed DeMarcus Cousins, I think, over the course of these last few days had they not had James Ennis on the roster. I think the Will Barton coming back unexpectedly from health and safety protocols, uh, him kind of being in there for like a day and then getting out of it, uh, that really changed the the way that they handled those 10 days. Now, now that Jamichael Green has gone back onto health and safety I'm surprised that they haven't signed DeMarcus Cousins. It's very weird that they haven't made that decision yet. Um, But perhaps they are waiting for the right time. And maybe against the Clippers is the right time. Maybe that's how they should handle it. Because they sucked against against the Clippers last time scoring the ball. Like, they scored 85 points. You don't think that they could use DeMarcus Cousins to kind of guide that bench unit a little bit? I don't think that he would have helped tonight against the Jazz, but he certainly wouldn't have hurt. Like him being minus 27 in 10 minutes, like Zeke Naji was, I, I don't think that that happens. I, don't, I just think that he's probably like minus 20 still. Like the Jazz would still really like just kick his butt in, a, in all likelihood because of their motion offense. But I do think that he will be here. I don't think that he affects the team too terribly much, but he does give Denver a nice wrinkle where they could go big at times versus going small like they usually do every single time. Um, If the goal really is to give Nikola Jokic a little bit of rest, then signing a dedicated backup center is a good idea. Like it just is. So hopefully he's signed. Hopefully he helps the team. I still have my concerns, but... I do think that Denver should be at least exploring it, and they they have explored it. That's to be clear. They definitely have explored it. I think it's probably time to pull the trigger. Third to last one here. Uh, how does Denver's rotation change if they were to acquire a rotation caliber wing? Somebody who may not start, may not necessarily be involved uh in the starting unit, per se. But let's say they get somebody that can realistically replace Will Barton in the starting lineup on occasion, because I don't think that you trade Will Barton for this player. I more think that you have him as a complimentary piece. Uh, A Kenrich Williams, a Justin Holiday, a Reggie Bullock, uh, Josh Richardson, somebody of that ilk, as as I've discussed many times before. 
I still think that would give Denver the flexibility that they need to play some different combinations that would be more helpful. Yes, Davon Reed has done a good job in his minutes. He deserves a lot of credit for stepping up the way that he did against the Lakers, for guarding LeBron James, for handling that assignment as well as he did. I still have concerns on his reliability. I think that he screwed up a lot of the team concepts against the Utah Jazz defensive scheme today, where he didn't necessarily have somebody that he needed to face guard like a LeBron. Um, He didn't necessarily handle it that well tonight. Does that mean that he can't get better? No. Does that mean that the Nuggets don't trust him? No. But I do think that there are players that they could add that would really bolster and and give the Nuggets some some confidence and some stability with that second unit that they could even potentially rest Will Barton on some days, get him some needed breathers. And then you play this player in the starting lineup and you get Davon Reed some extra minutes or Bones Highland some extra minutes, wherever it comes down to. I think that would really help. And the player that I'm talking about, of course, is a more 3 and D type, somebody who can guard both guards and forwards, at least reasonably, and then as high of a percentage from three as possible. Denver has lost their consistency from three. Too many times they've had games where nobody can throw a pee in the ocean. Hopefully this changes that, if it happens. Second to last year, what happens when the Nuggets get Jamal Murray back? What does that mean for the rotation? How does he handle it? How do the Nuggets handle it? Uh, I'm very curious, just like everybody else, how they're going to then shift up this backcourt rotation because I assume that they're going to go with two guards, two forwards, and Jokic, but I could be wrong. They might go three guards. They might play Monte, Jamal, and Will all together. They might play um, Monte and Murray and then Stagger Barton. I doubt that they do that, but they, they might. The most likely scenario is that they start Jamal Murray immediately, play Will Barton at the two, and then figure out the backcourt in the second unit with Monte Morris, Bones Highland, and Faku Campazzo. Uh, That is a very small three-guard rotation. There's not a lot of defense there. Like, Faku does a good job of moving his feet, getting into passing lanes at times, making some hustle plays, but I also think that he's less functional as a defender, especially against some bigger guys. Uh, And he would be put into a position where he's defending bigger guys a lot. Um, I think that you're probably going with Monte and Bones. I think Denver, in this situation with the second unit that they have, where they just need scoring, they need somebody who can carry the carry the day a little bit. Maybe this changes if you get Cousins, but until you get Cousins or until you make another mood that move that kind of changes things, I think the most likely scenario is that Denver plays Monte and, and Bones. And those guys play together, have a good time. And I think that that's Denver's best combo. I do, because I think the Bones can realistically play off ball a little bit better than Faku can, and I don't want Monte off ball all the time if Faku is in the game. Like I just don't think that that makes a lot of sense on either end of the floor. 
So that's what probably happens with the second unit. But with the starters, I don't think you miss a beat. I think that Murray does a lot of the things both on and off the ball that the Jokic offense is absolutely needing. Like, is he going to be cutting super hard? Is he going to be screening super hard? Is he going to be booking it up the floor super hard? Probably not. Or, well, it is Jamal. He might he might just do it. He might just go full bore, and that's, that's what you love about him. But um, I don't know. I think that the best way for Denver to handle that is just to try to ease him in a little bit. You've got 15 to 20 minutes total for the first five or so games, and then you ramp it up to 25, and then you ramp it up to 30, and then you ramp it up to 35 or however long is necessarily needed. Uh, there will be times where Denver rests him, where they give him uh, a back-to-back off, or they uh, play three games in four nights or something like that, and they just want to have an opportunity to rest him. Then you can go back to your other starting unit where Monte is the starter, Barton is the back or the, the shooting guard, and then you've got Faku and Bones again. I think that's fair. Uh, but either way, Jamal being back, I couldn't help but think tonight that in the minutes where Jokic didn't play, the thing that Denver had last year, or at least in the bubble, that they didn't really have this year, was when you've got a guy like Rudy Gobert, you want to run, pick, and roll at him. You want to have a player like Jamal Murray, like Damian Lillard, like Devin Booker, like a, a lot of the, like Chris Paul even, a lot of the ball-handling guards who are competent enough to do everything, but also just at their most lethal when they have the ball in their hands and they're scoring at all three levels. Like that is what really disrupts the Jazz defense. And Denver doesn't really have that guy, or at least not a reliable one, on a consistent basis. Is Murray going to be reliable? I don't know. But he does provide something that, especially if Denver were to face the Jazz in the playoffs, like I would stagger Murray and Jokic. I would want uh, Murray to come off the floor at the six-minute mark, to come back on the floor when Jokic sits, and then to try to carry the day for that bench unit. Maybe play Monte Morris next to him. Maybe play Bones next to him. Davon Reed for a little bit of defense. And then get yourself a pick-and-roll guy. Somebody who can really roll hard to the rim. I think that's the best way to handle it. And I'm looking forward to seeing what Denver does to, to kind of make that happen. And finally, uh, what happens when you get back Michael Porter Jr.? Or if you get back Michael Porter? Because I think that uh, that's the scenario that I think about the least. It's the one that I think is the furthest out, but there's been encouraging video of him shooting, of him jumping a little bit more, getting a little bit more movement, uh, not necessarily running or changing direction or putting a lot of stress on that back quite yet, but the word that you get is that there's a possibility that he comes back, and, and if that is a possibility, man, I wonder what happens. Um, I do think he would come off the bench. I think it's too hard to reinsert him back into the starting lineup if he's coming back like hypothetically March 26th or something like that. You've got two weeks, two and a half weeks before the playoffs start, and then you're expecting him to be in a playoff rotation. That's tough. That is a tough place to be for a player that's been out for the majority of the season. So I'm very curious. Um, I say that a lot, but this is stuff that's fascinating to me, that when Denver was playing with 10 guys, when they're trying to make it work with Davon Reed, Zeke Naji, Ifaku, Bones, like 
it would be nice if they if their entire bench, like let's say they started the same group, Morris, Barton, Gordon, Jeff Green, Nikola Jokic. It would be nice if their bench unit was Jamal Murray, PJ Dozier, Michael Porter, uh, let's go Jamichael Green, a good version of Jamichael Green. And like, um, I don't know. How about Mason Plumley or somebody like that? Somebody in that ilk where you've got a smart roller to the rim, somebody who can switch a little bit, but not necessarily do too much, and is a good passer. Um, That's what you would hope for. But either way, uh, I think that Denver's still in an okay position. I, I know that people didn't want to see the loss that happened tonight, but I do think that reinforcements are coming. This is not the end product of what the Nuggets can really be. Uh, whether they make a major trade, whether they make a DeMarcus Cousins signing and actually try that out, I'm, I'm, I just don't know. Like I think that they're in a position where if you think that you could get back your high ceiling players, you might as well go for it. You might as well try to find an option where you can go for it for sure. Uh, we are about... Uh, it's uh, January 17th now, Monday, January 17th. So we're about 24 days away from the trade deadline. So we're going to know soon enough, three and a half weeks. Should be fun. That is going to do for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, part of the Mile High Sports Podcast family. Thank you so much for listening to my blatherings. And if you can, it would be awesome if you could rate, review, and subscribe to the pod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. It would be very, very cool. Um, But either way, I should be back. I'll probably podcast on one of these days where Denver has an off day. Maybe I'll get together with somebody. Maybe it's Adam. Maybe it's uh, somebody else at DNVR or, or maybe a surprise guest. Should be pretty fun. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Talk to you guys very soon. 